much for that uh, scripture reading, Felicia. Yeah. Um, a very good morning to you all. Hey. Yeah, that makes me comfortable. <laughs> um, how is your year been? How is your 2020 been? Yeah, ready to move on. I bet none of us in this room this morning would have predicted at the end of last year that we would be going through a pandemic. The coronavirus, the reality is, everyone was caught by surprise. None of us expected. I bet you remember the very day when Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, together with the Chief Health Officer, Mr. Brendan Murphy, stood right in front of you on the television set, declaring that Australia was shutting down. People had businesses. We have a flower farm we run, and we had planted by that time everything to go in for our Mother's Day. And I remember looking at my wife and saying, what do we do? I remember seeing this farm in Victoria, the, the manager of the farm getting on a tractor, slashing everything they had because it was a dark time. But how did we react? We reacted so quickly to respond to the call from the authorities to obey the warning they put up, the strategy they put together for us to, to be able to avoid the spread of the pandemic or to limit the extent that it would take. How we quickly jumped to wearing face masks, socially isolate and distance from our loved ones. And we did this, we were not, most of us were not even forced to do these things. We knew we had to do these things. This morning I want to declare another pandemic. This one is not going to get us by surprise because we are warned in Luke. We are warned. The scripture we've just read is one of the few passages or many passages that Jesus uses that is similar to other passages that Jesus uses to teach his disciples. You must know that Jesus, like any other teacher, uses the same lessons. And many times he used the same lesson to the same core group of people, his disciples. And if you're a parent or a teacher or someone that has been in the care of lots of children, you agree that as parents, we also do the same thing. We teach the same things. We say the same lessons to our children. And many times it is to the same child. The idea here is not to annoy them or to exasperate them. We just want them to get the point. We want them to understand the importance of them learning whatever we are teaching them at that time. And so the scripture we've just read, Luke, is one of those few teachings that Jesus ended up teaching the same things. And so today, it's a long scripture of a uh, portion of scripture that we have to deal with. Our main scripture, though, today is going to be based in verse 37, where Jesus says, Lucky are the servants whom the master finds on watch 
he will put on an apron. I'm reading from the Message Bible. He will put on an apron, sit them at the table, and serve them a meal, sharing his wedding feast with them. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you so much for such a great opportunity for us to be in your house, at your altar, learning and being challenged. I pray this morning that if there is any obstacle that might stand in your way, in our way of understanding what you're trying to teach through me, that you take it away and open our hearts to listen and learn and be ready to serve you. I pray all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, when I was 12, I started working at a construction site, doing part work. Partly of, part of that is I needed some money to continue with my high school education. Because my parents died when I was a little younger, I had to do that. And so we worked at the construction site in Uganda. I was at the lowest um, skill level. So I was a porter. A porter is usually someone who you carry, you push the wheelbarrow if they need concrete, you're the one pushing it. So that's what I did. And so I worked with a group of other men, some men who are old enough to be my fathers, and some who are in their 20s. And they liked me, and they were ready to teach me and admired that I was working to be able to afford school. And it was great learning from them. And so... Not long after that, I realized that most of these men had done this job for maybe 10 years, yet they had no benefit whatsoever. They had no benefit for retirement. They had no super funds set up for them. They had nothing like that. They had no benefits of sick leave paid. The only benefit that we had, it was strictly day job, day labor. If you wanted to work, you showed up, you were given what to do. If you didn't want to work, you didn't show up. That's the only benefit we had. And so I connected one of the men, his name was uh, Magala. It's a Uganda name. And so he loved me and he looked after me as a parent. And uh, every end of the month, that's when we received our payment and it was cash. So end of the month, the foreman comes in and he has a list of people who worked and how many hours they did and he would hand every person their, their, their portion, what their wages. And um, not long after every time we got paid, some of the men never showed up for the next couple of days or sometimes even weeks. And so it, it bothered me, so I asked the other men, why isn't so-and-so here? They laughed at me and said, he got paid. And I was confused. I kept asking, if he got paid, why isn't he coming back? They kept laughing and said, he got paid and he got drunk. Again, I was confused and they explained and said, he got drunk, he will only come back if he needs more money. So this kept going on and on. And then right there, I realized there's a there's a common mindset for people who are perpetually poor. 
And that is, they never think about the future. They don't think about tomorrow. They only think about today. Every time they got paid, all they cared about is, we have the money. And looking for people whom they would buy drinks for and feed their stomachs. But the one thing they never thought about is putting that money away for tomorrow or starting up a fund for their children. Some just couldn't afford to do that because they had big families to feed. And some just went and wasted the money. See, our Lord Jesus Christ, he never told that. He said, we should not be anxious about tomorrow. But he never said, we shouldn't think about the future. As a matter of fact, the whole of Jesus' message is about the future. He's telling his disciples, think about tomorrow. I will come back, and I'm going to take back those who are ready. Every message he was teaching his disciples or whoever listened to him, he was telling them about tomorrow and to be ready. And he says, he's coming back. So as a, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to be concerned about his coming back, his second return. See, he's coming back not as a savior. He's not coming back to save people. He's done that at the cross. He's coming back to judge his people. That's why we have to be concerned. That's why we have to be ready. And in the scripture we, we've read, if I can flip through quickly, uh, he wants his disciples and he uses four word pictures to bring this point home. Number one, Jesus talks about to be dressed in readiness. He tells his disciples to be dressed in readiness. And this literally meant that they had to be dressed to guard their loins. In my country, I come from a tribe called Baganda. It's one of the most dominant tribes. Our attire as men is, or back then, it's changed now, it was an attire that is like a dress, almost the same as the robes in the Bible. And men put on the dresses. It's called a kanzu. It's a white traditional attire. So men, if you're going to be introduced by your wife to her parents, that's the attire you have to put on. And because it's like a dress, men couldn't fight in that. If you're a warrior in my tribe, you are exempted from wearing that attire. Men who are warriors in my country, in my tribe, just put on almost like undies, like leaves covering their loins because they had to be ready. If, 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 the king, if the king's messenger sounded the gong that it's time for war, it would be hard for them to run if they had a dress on. They would be tipped over and fall and make a disaster of themselves. So if you're a warrior, you had to be ready. And I think Jesus is telling his disciples right here that, don't be like, don't be dressed like that. Be dressed, ready to go. The second word picture that he uses, he says, keep your lamps alight. And again, this goes back to the old days when people didn't have electricity. You couldn't just flip the switch and 
suddenly light comes. People depended on kerosene lamps or lamps to have a light. And he was telling his disciples, using the same word picture, that be on alert. Make sure your light is always switched on. And back home, if you expected, because we, we didn't have electricity, if you expected a visitor at midnight, our grandmother always kept a light on, a lamp in a corner. Because when a visitor comes, you're not going to be rushing, falling into saucepans or tables. You knew where the light is on, there's, a, there's enough light for you to go and open. for. Or if you had an emergency, if a mother was in labor, she needed a midwife. You didn't have to panic. You had a light to lead you. And so it's the same thing that he's telling them. And we see Jesus using these things to connect, telling his disciples they need to switch on. They need to be alert. And he goes on and he uses the third word picture he uses is be like servants waiting for their master's return from a wedding feast. Again, it's in relation with the Jews. The Jews did big wedding feasts in in the Jewish culture, weddings went for almost a month. People would celebrate, get drunk, and just have a life, a, a, a time of their lifetime. And because of that, masters couldn't attend to their flock. They couldn't attend to their affairs because they were away for a whole month. So what they did, they left their, the chief servant in charge. However, this chief servant had to be ready because you never knew when the master is going to be fed up of the, of, uh, of the feast. He might go and doesn't like what's going on and he comes back on the first day. So he was telling them, you have to be like that servant who knows that, yes, my master is away on a wedding feast. Sometimes they go for a month. Maybe this time it may go for a day. So just be alert and know he is going to come back. And how is he going to find you? He uses the fourth picture and the last picture Jesus uses. He, it's one of a thief breaking into, into a house. He says, if, 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 if you knew that a thief is coming to your house, you wouldn't let him just come in. You would be ready. You would call the police. You would, if you had... If you're in America and you have a right to own a gun, you would have your gun cocked, ready to defend your household. And he was telling them this, the exact thing. I remember this, actually, uh, my, my, my grandmother, I grew up with, a lot, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother more than my parents because they couldn't afford to um, look after all of us. So my grandmother stepped in and took us in, took me and my sister in. And I remember, uh, on our door, behind our door, we had wooden doors, not as fancy as these ones here. Uh, the, back, the front of the door was always smooth and nice for the people looking at it, but the back, back of the door, the whole frame was, you would see the whole frame of the door and the wood. And every time at the back of the door, she had this huge knife that she left in, and it was always stuck there, and she would go off if she ever found anyone using that knife for the normal daily jobs. And I never understood why. Like, she never explained. She just said, it has to stay there. One day I did the forbidden thing and used the knife and went and we used it to cut uh, jackfruit and ate. I came back. 
she was mad. I never did that again. And, but because she was mad, I also got the opportunity for her to explain why that knife was important to stay there. She said, that's our source of protection. If someone came to our house at night, we are not running around looking for ways to defend ourselves. We, that knife is where we go and we hold it. And he's telling his disciples, a thief will not make an appointment when he's coming. He might come at an hour you don't know, which thieves tend to do anyway. So he says, be like that person, homeowner. If you know a thief is coming, you're not going to go and drink and leave your house open. You know he's coming. You do whatever it takes. And so he's, he's telling his disciples all these things, connecting them again, trying to help them to switch on, to be alert, because this is going to happen. We know it's going to happen. He is coming back, even if he's using other um, word pictures of thieves and being dressed. He's talking about himself because he's coming back at an hour we don't know. And some people have gone ahead and they've connected these dots and they are, some people have predicted that Jesus, some people predicted, you, you remember uh, John Driver was talking about last week, was it the year 2000 when some people thought that would be the end of the world? And I remember my mother used to think that way too. We, people got ready to get the computers crashed. But they were wrong. And some people, the scoffers have said, that will never happen. It's been 2,000 years ago. It will never happen. Get on with life. And also these people are wrong. And they, the, the reason why they are wrong is because they are focusing on the wrong picture. The picture here. Jesus was not talking about, he, does, he doesn't want us to be uh, limited to the time he's coming. He wants us to be ready at whatever time he comes. He wants us to be ready when he comes. And if you have any regard this morning about the warning, the forward pictures that Jesus is given, if you have any regard to those words, then the question we should be asking ourselves this morning is, how then can we be ready? What can we do so that we don't miss the point? And uh, the, 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 the scripture suggests three things. Number one, he must be our master. Jesus has to be our master. That's the first way we can be ready for, for his coming. And um, there is a sense in which Jesus is the Lord of every person. In this passage, he clearly assumes the authority to be the rightful judge of everyone who has ever lived. But also clearly, it will only go well for those who are in relationship with him. First and foremost, who submit to him. Some will say Jesus is my savior, but he's, I've, I've just not made him my Lord. And really, how can he be your savior and you don't make him your Lord? And yet he says, I want to be your master. I want you to serve me. And we can't deny the fact that Jesus wants us to exalt him to do everything for him. And the Lordship of Jesus Christ, oh, the best example I can get out of this is the story of Abraham in the Bible. And uh, we, if you've not heard of this story, if you've not heard of this story, you, you, um, I'll give a brief 
uh, summary of it. Abraham is one of the, is the patriarch of Israel. God saw his heart and wanted to bless him with, his, with a son, and he waited for a long time. And so God gives him a son. His name is Isaac. And because he had waited for Isaac for a long time, he's in his 90s, and he gets his son, and his son becomes his point of focus. His son starts to compete with God. And God doesn't like that because God wants Abraham to be all about him. God tells Abraham, take your son for a camping trip. On this trip, take a knife with you because he's not coming back alive. I want you to go and kill him. And so you can only imagine what Abraham is thinking, like, I've been praying for this son. I've been believing for him, and now you want him gone. And you can imagine the wrestling he's go- that is going on in his heart. How will the dream in Abraham, nations will be born. How is that going to be fulfilled? And as an African man, I can relate to that because growing up in Africa, if you were a father and had a son, firstborn son, he was the pride of the children. Because a son, in my culture, the first son becomes the heir to the father. When the father dies, there's even a special occasion where they enthrone you as a son to take the footsteps of your, your father. You take on your father's name. Even when they divide your father's wealth, the first son gets more than his siblings. And that is not because he's, he's, they want him to be greedy. It's because they are preparing him for the task of looking after his siblings and his mother and everyone in the family. That's his role. He takes the role of a father. So if a father didn't have a son, that's why most African men went on to have many women to try and search for that one son that can continue the family name. That's how important a son was. And I can only imagine in, the, in, in, the, uh, in, in Abraham's age or days, it would be the same thing. A son was seen in that perspective as someone who carries on the dream of the father. Who is going, when the father is gone, he's going to look after his mother. He's going to look after anyone that needs anything. If someone died or someone was in trouble, they knock at your door because you received more. So that's how much this son Isaac means to Abraham. And yet God tells him, take him and kill him. And he's still wrestling. How am I going to tell my wife that the son we've waited for a long time, now I have to kill him? How is he going to tell the local authorities? He might probably be in jail for the rest of his life, charged with murder of his son. And in all this is going on and some of the writers have said that Abraham wrestles and he comes to a conclusion that I will go and kill the son and hope that God will raise him up again. And God lets this man, old man, go on at a point where Abraham would not retreat. And yet he forbids him to lay his hand on the son. And he tells him, I never intended you to kill the son. I only wanted to take him away from your heart because that place is sacred for me. Can you imagine that? Abraham, some call that the trial by fire. See, Abraham didn't fail in the crucible. He came out triumph, triumphant. He won the battle because he 
At that point, you realize that the master wants to be the master in my heart. The master wants to be a master in my abilities. The master wants to be the master in my riches, in my talents. He wants to, he wants to be the one that is exalted more than any other thing. And Abraham didn't fail in the, in the trial by fire. You see, those who are ready for Christ Jesus, if you're ready for his return, you have to constantly be seeking him. And that leads us in our next point is that to be ready for Jesus' return, we have to be his servants. Because a master has to have servants. Being a servant of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, is a mindset. And secondly, it's a specific ministry. See, the man who becomes a servant of God no longer controls his destiny. He lost control when he became a servant. Serving the master immediately becomes to him an all-absorbing interest, an overwhelming interference in no matter what the servant may desire to do. The only one thing he can do is the will of God. That's what Jesus is calling us to do to serve him, again, with our talents. I read a story of a man in America who is a real estate agent that has set up his business in a way that he works as much as he can in the winter months, and then he takes his summer months off to serve God in running children's camps. And we've read all these stories of people who find ways of giving beyond what they can what they, what, what, beyond what they receive to try and make sure other people are living a better life. And that's still serving. Serving is not just being a pastor or standing behind a pulpit. It's being in our workplaces. I, uh, I can only think about the, the story of the, the nativity story, the innkeeper, how he missed the point. Imagine in the nativity scene how amazing it would have been if, Mary and Joseph came to the innkeeper and said, we need a room. And instead of sending them away, he went, realized I don't have any room for you, but at my house I can take my son in my room and you can have his room. How the nativity scene would have changed. We wouldn't have a, man, we wouldn't have a manger. But he missed the point because serving God is going beyond, over and beyond. And that's what... Jesus is telling us we have to be his servants. We have to look for a specific ministry where we can plug in. Some people say we don't have time, but we can create time. This whole year, I've been battling with my phone. I've been battling to reduce the time I spend on my phone. And uh, I've taken it down to one hour on average, one hour, 30 minutes a day. And for me, that's great deal because and I've told my wife my goal for next year is to help you too to reduce your five hours to 30 minutes <laughs> you see the good thing with the new phones you can know exactly how much time you spend on the phone and I'm not saying being on the phone is bad. I'm just saying there are ways we can create time. If time is your problem of serving God, you can create time. You can work around what God has given you to try and achieve serving him. 
because when he comes back, he, wa- he doesn't want to, s- to find us seated and waiting. If, if, if the only thing that God wanted for us is to save us, he would have saved us and killed us and taken us to heaven. There's a reason why he didn't do that, because he wants his kingdom to be expanded here on earth. That's the whole point. The, 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 the third way that we can be ready, and the last one, is we have to live in expectation of his return. Again, that's thinking about the future. We as people who have been blessed with salvation, we have to remember that any day, we don't know the time, and it's not important to know the time, but we have to expect him. We, we don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be depressed because we don't know, but we can be active. We can serve him and know that he might come back at any time. And uh, the scripture here says that blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on a lot. Again, I have an interesting example I found on the internet of, uh, in America. Uh, their former president, uh, Jimmy Carter, very loved American president, probably better than, more loved than the current one. Um, um, sorry, I didn't mean to get political, but uh, so Jimmy Carter had this thing where he makes random home stays in normal people's homes. Like, I, people say it was his attempt to show people that he understood what they go through. So he would just announce and say, I'll be at 67 Franks Lane this week. And he will show up. And it made me wonder, like, what would you do if the prime minister, let's suppose everyone loves the prime minister here, Scott Morrison, let's suppose he says, I'll be on 99 room on 10 this week, and that's your place. Where, what would you do? How would you live? I bet you'll be running to Burnings to get an extra can of paint to paint that the rooms in your house, you'll be changing doorknobs, you'll be hiring cleaners, you'll be at Burnings trying to do all the DIY projects to try and be ready for the president or prime minister in this case coming and we'll do whatever it takes because this is an important visit. Prime minister doesn't just stay in anyone's home so you would be privileged to, to get ready for that. You'll be expecting him. My question this morning is, what if the king of kings was coming to your house? If he was coming to your house tonight or next week, how would your life look like? How would you be comfortable if he, had, if, if he found you doing the activities you did last week? Would you be comfortable him finding you watching the TV series you are watching? Would you be comfortable for him to go through your Google research history? Would you be comfortable for him to find you? Or would you be yelling, wait a minute, Lord, and telling your children to hide things and magazines and, you know, would you be doing that? He doesn't want us to be like that. He wants us to have the door open for him, to know 
the moment he knocks, he'll be like, yes, sir, come in. We are ready for you, and the meals are served. And that's the whole thing about this message is Jesus wants us not to miss the point. He wants us to be in the minute, to be part of the journey. And in closing, I hope you now know what it takes to be ready because it will be good for him to find you watching. It will be good for him to find you ready. And uh, it will be good for him to find you serving. This reminds me, uh, actually, uh, as of today, I've been, me and my wife, we've been married for six years and seven days. And uh, I, uh, it's not long, but in our journey, it's long. And um, I, I, I took the pleasure of trying to convert that in, time, in, in, in days, and it, it came up to almost 52,098 days that we've been married. I couldn't help but think about our wedding day, how we had to be ready. And as a, as a, as a bridegroom, I had the advantage or even disadvantage of being the one waiting for my bride. And I couldn't help on that day thinking, what if all these people, see, when, when a bridegroom walks in, no one cares. <laughs> see, you stand and no heads are turned. You know, you're there, you have to wait for your bride and you can't help but to think, what if she doesn't show up? What if I actually wore a suit for the first time in my life. The only one suit I wore was on our wedding day. The only one I've ever owned. And I'm, th I'm here thinking, what if she doesn't show up? What if she gets cold feet and says, I'm not sure. You see, Jesus has walked this journey. He served his father faithfully. He's waiting. Now, the question to us is going to be, is he going to be like me who is unsure whether my bride might come? Of course, she came, and it was an amazing day, and I embraced her, and Jesus wants to embrace us because the Bible says he's, the bridegroom waiting for his bride, the church. And when he comes, he wants to whisper in our ears and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. I entrusted you with your family. I entrusted you with your job. I entrusted you with this church. I entrusted you with your grandchildren. I entrusted you with your business. And you've been faithful. You've used Everything I've given you to expand my kingdom. You've looked after the homeless. You've given to the poor. You've helped the struggling marriages. You've used your marriage to cancel other marriages. You've used your wisdom to put people in a good passage. And that's what he wants for us. That's the price of his return. The price of his return is not just like the bad judge that just wants to point people, you hell. No, he wants to enjoy it with us. And he's, that's why he's written these things for us that we are not caught off guard. We have to be ready. And 
that's the end of the message. I hope you, it has inspired you and uh, you've been blessed and uh, have a great day and Merry Christmas.